Vodka. 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 Vodka O'Clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love, and you're listening to Vodka O'Clock from AmberUnmasked.com. And just to remind you, if you uh, haven't heard the previous episodes of the show, there's now a Patreon set up to support the show and the website. You just go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked. And you can pledge as little as $1 per creation. So that would be like a dollar a week. And uh, today, returning to the show, finally, it's been yes, kind of a while. it's been a while. Number three for me. All right, Eric Grissom. Hello. How are you? Thank you for having me I'm, on again. This is exciting. Yeah, I love, I love having you on. Um, we always have so much just to talk about and ramble about. Um, this is true. And, you know, the uh, uh, we had so much love for Dead Horse, your previous uh, work. We did, thank you. Which is still going, still going so, on. Still going on. And so today we're going to focus a lot on Planet Gigantic, which I started talking to people about last year. And now the whole like book one is out. So it's time to really get into Planet Gigantic and like get into the nitty gritty details. Yeah, it was crazy with that because it had a very strange release because um, there was an issue with the printer. And then all of a sudden, I think it was in November, the first issue came out. And then the number two and number three came out like every week in stores so i don't know if people <laughs> realize that and then all of a sudden now the fourth issue is out so it's like within two months the entire four issue thing was released you know so now all four issues are in stores and i guess the trade i want to say it's going to come out next month that's what i see on amazon but don't hold me to that okay so what people should do is you should go to your store your local comic book store and say hey you know what i need you know what I need? I need some Planet Gigantic. Need Planet Gigantic paperback. That's right. So, um, do you want to do the the synopsis? Sure. Or no, I don't mind. It's it's actually oh. a relief because you know you mentioned Dead Horse, and that's like I just gotta hold my head and be like, all right, how am I gonna possibly explain what this is? Planet Gigantic is very easy. It's two super powered teenage astronauts who crash on a planet with giant monsters and warring queens. Exactly. See that? It's easy. I'm it, done. It, My you, work is done. See, you've narrowed it down. I've got like three paragraphs. <laughs> like, yeah. You, so, um, and the the kids, I want to talk about like everything about how you designed them, named all of the characters and stuff, because it's it's so unique. It reminded me, and I'm, oh God, I'm totally spacing on the name, but there was a French comic that it sort of reminded me of. Oh, yeah. um, the girl's name, I think, was Valeria. And I'm totally spacing on what the boy's name was. The boy character was actually the main character, but she had a kind of like a one-shot spinoff that was really good. Mm-hmm. So your characters are Valentina and Yuri. Yes. They're sort of sort of twins, we can call them. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean they're brother and sister, but they're essentially cloned children. So they came from the same, you know, batch, for <laughs> lack of a better like, word. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Valentina is actually. Um, like six minutes older. I don't know if that's ever said, but that's in my my notes. Cool. And um, so their their mother that goes with them on this journey, uh, it's basically her consciousness, the consciousness of AI. Yes. Um, put into whatever computer they can come across that that can run her. Program. Yeah, basically with her, it, there's um a zero issue like a prequel to Planet Gigantic, which you can get on Comixology. It's only available digitally. They ran like a very small print run uh, for Comic-Cons. But that sort of gives you a little bit of backstory about the two kids and mother. 
Um, you know, Dr. Roberta Riley was actually the scientist who created this whole program with these kids. And basically the program is, you know, similar to like rovers and stuff that we send to other planets to, to gather data. Uh, what they did was they created these kids, you know, the astronaut teenagers who would be sent out into space and grow up in space. And they have super abilities so that they could, you know, look for materials that could be mined and places to live and all that kind of science stuff. So that was sort of their purpose. And Mother, who's sort of an android that takes care of them, is modeled after this Dr. Roberta Riley, who's sort of the real mother. Um, and where our story starts, something terrible happens to the robot mother, um, and they, they're able to sort of take her uh, systems or computer systems or her OS or whatever you want to call it out, and they put it into something else, which is revealed later. Right, and um, and it's cool the personality that she has because she's she doesn't have any kind of overbearing mother personality. She really is like um, a mentor, more like a teacher. I felt. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, that's it's, it. They do have like a, a very specific sort of family dynamic, but yeah, she's she's very much in charge of them, but also running them. I mean, they're owned by a corporation so they have specific goals that they have to to meet you know some of them you know if the story goes on beyond this some of them may have been nefarious um but you know we'll get to that if we ever move beyond this first volume right and um so like i said on 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 twitter i would probably gush about dave halverson's art as much as possible, because I know he did a little uh, like coloring work for you and some some rework on Dead Horse. So here you kind of uh, gave him the reins and he's taken over um, most of the art for this, except for a couple of stories. And it's just it, it's so clear. I had a, I was trying to come up with a way since I'm not an artist and I can't speak in their language. I just I wanted to um, get people to understand that the level of detail that he puts into something, I find in a lot of comics that I I end up staring at panels and saying, I don't know what's happening here, but I'll read the dialogue so I'll know and keep moving on. Mm -hmm. But his panels are all so crystal clear to me and and his coloring is just magnificent. I mean, it's just such a great texture through this because you've got them on um, a planet that, you know, kind of looks like Earth. I mean, there's grass, there's water, there's buildings. Um, it's just that everything is really, you know, sci-fi pulp type where, you know, the buildings are um, unique looking and stuff. And like you said, monsters and robots. So um, what in the, you know, what in the process of uh, letting him design the world and designing these you know, all the characters, I should say. Um, what did you have to tell Dave in order to get this type of output? Uh, well, he's just, you know, to back up a little, I mean, he's he's an amazing artist. I mean, as you pointed out. Um, and yeah, we had worked previously where he was the colorist, the dead horse. And, and I was a fan of him even before he was the dead horse colors because he had a, a webcomic called Tales of Armstrong, which unfortunately is is no longer up. Um, but I just love his whole style and you mentioned all the details, but also sometimes the lack of details, like the things that he leaves out, like the pupils and the eyes and stuff. It gives the book such a unique 
really cool, almost like uh, Wooderson, Calvin and Hobbes type vibe too to the whole thing. It's just, it's just amazing. And as far as like the design work, like he, I would give him stuff like as a good example, mother. So like the character of mother that we talked about before in the original script, it was literally going to be like a white robot that was going to be, you know, closer to like um, Eve from like Wally than what we have. And when I got the character designs back, it was like this uh, woman from the 1950s or something character um, that I fell in love with. So, I mean, that completely changed, you know, from that image that I got from him, I developed the whole backstory of Dr. Uh, Alberta Riley and that whole thing. So it was like such a great moment of like a collaboration where I'm coming up with, you know, the idea for mother, then his, you know, as it goes through him, it becomes something totally different. And then that inspires me to create all these other things as well. Um, so there's very little, I mean, I had, you know, specifics as far as, you know, Ignatius is a giant rock monster, you know, he should be about this tall and this is what I'm thinking. But a lot of this character stuff is, is, you know, coming from Dave as far as like the design um, and the look of everyone. You know, I, I do supply some references and stuff, but for for him, I mean, he's so amazing. It's just, you know, he comes back with this stuff. So, like, the design is definitely very much him as far as the characters go. It's definitely, um, I have no idea. Like, I mean, I've never met, met Dave, so I don't know how old he is. But it's it, it, it made me think of things like the Dark Crystal and the never-ending story. And yes. Just, you know. Yeah, and that, that those kind of things were definitely you know, told him because that's exactly where I was coming from too. Like those, those two movies were, were huge influences on me. Um, especially the dark crystal. And like, that was like, you know, things that I'd been sending him. It was like basically that mixed with old Marvel comics, you know, like the old Kirby, uh, Steve Ditko stuff. Um, so right, which I saw that you give some shout outs to. Yeah. Yeah. To two of the guards, um, are named after, uh, Kirby and Ditko. And what you know, but these are um, children. I mean, I don't know how old are they. They're to be 15. Like, well, yeah. I mean, I think there's like one line or something that says that they've been in space for 15 years or so. Um, so they and they're um, it, it's, uh, you know, like there's nothing gratuitous. Like we're so used to seeing like the like female characters so sexualized and everything. And people are even talking about it with Gotham, which is a show that I love. Mm-hmm. That they're kind of maybe pushing it a little too fast for um, Poison Ivy and Cat uh, on the show. That they're making them a little too sexually aware. And this, first of all, we're not we're not even dealing with that because they're just there and they have a purpose of science, and that's it. And they're you know things like these guys are in spacesuits, right. you know, like like we don't care. Like nowhere did Valentina have to look in a mirror or worry about if she was pretty in any of, of book one of Planet right, Titanic. Right. And that, and that's, you know, that's just something that doesn't interest me either. So like for this too, it's very much, you know, it's all ages, but it's certainly targeted at kids. You know, it's, it was came up from, you know, going to conventions and stuff and doing signings and having lots of, you know, eight and nine year old, kids coming up to the table and, and, you know, dead horse is not necessarily the book that they should be reading and certainly not animals either, um, which is another book I do with Claire Connolly. So it was like, I needed something and I wanted something in this and like all the things that you said, like the dark crystal and, and uh, he man and Herculoids and all these things that I was like way into as a kid, I wanted to 
do something like that. So as far as like, you know, sexuality and all that kind of stuff, there's certainly like I wanted these kids or I want these kids to grow up on this planet. Um, so I do want to get into, you know, love stories and things that that kids and teenagers and, you know, young adults are going to go through. Um, so that's certainly on the agenda because I think that's part of life and important. But it's, you know, like you're saying, it's, it was not a focus to, you know, to sexualize these kids in any way. That's kind of weird. Yeah, even uh, Liana, um, like, you know, and, and again, this I guess credit all goes back to, to Dave and his uh, creativity and stuff. Like their hairstyles are so, uh, like, adorable and everything. And Li- Liana, um, her outfit is more like um i kind of want to want to say something something like you'd see in like, like typical fantasy stuff except that i had to look closely and this thankfully our technology allows us to see different varieties of color mm-hmm. better that you know she's not just in some kind of little mini skirt or loincloth like she actually has what looks like you know like leather leggings underneath her outfit so it's not just that she's wearing something skimpy and um you know as whatever part of her her race of the uh cuz she's she's from uh the heirs Aries people yeah yeah the realm so. the realm of ire yep yeah there's like so. seven realms um on this planet but to talk about her i i think in one of the original, I'll have to go through the things, but I think in one of the original character designs, she actually didn't have those leggings. And I was, and I was like, we got to yeah. put, we got to put leggings, <laughs> we got to put leggings yeah. on her. And it was, you know, so I, I know that obviously, like the old, um, you know, funny pages and the old comics, the, they were very limited in how the the color could come across, and that's probably why there was so much, you know pink and purple and bright green Mm -hmm. just that that's what they had and so now when somebody like dave comes along and he uses such subtle gradients and color changes like when he draws um you know like the uh their powers shooting off it's you know it's like these beautiful gradients yeah and we were like definitely on the same page to david and i as far as colors go like i love all the pinks and the purples and and using those kind of colors in this setting, uh, I just think works so well. And also with Liana too, like in this original script, she was much more of like a Xena type character. And then coming right. back with like this, I love her hairstyle and the white hair. Like it's just, it's just perfect. Yeah. And yet she feels like um, she's the same, similar kind of age as Valentina. So, uh, I like their relationship that um, even though, and maybe this is again, because they're just like, I don't want to say they're not real children. I guess they were raised like real children, but they have the kids know that their purpose is about science and that's, you know, they have no expectations of returning to earth. So when Valentina meets Liana, they're just so easily friends, you know, like they, she, she doesn't, she tries to get Valentina to realize, hey, look, we need to get out of this situation, and it's not about your special powers. Like, you can solve this problem. And she's just very, almost like um, a, a big sisterly Yeah, yeah, there's it. definitely, like, I mean, she's she's a little bit older, too. Um, not, you know, not by much. I imagine she's, you know, early 20s or whatever. But I also like, too, with these characters, like, you know, they've been on the spaceship forever, and, uh, you know, Valentina was always very much 
the one that was in charge. Um, and I love the idea of putting her and Liana, who have, you know, sort of similar personalities together. And, and there's times, you know, throughout where they're just fighting over who's who's right and, and you know, which way we're actually supposed to go. And, who you know, so there's a lot of fun with that kind of tension, too. Yeah, it felt really natural. So is this like, are your kids at these sorts of ages where you're you're having um, all of the source material you need right now? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, my, my, uh, my two, I have three kids my who are actually in the issue. Um, I made David put them in. They're in the, the fourth issue. There's like a bunch of kids that are throwing a, like a coin in a fountain. Um, and that that's actually my kids. But my oldest daughter, who's nine um and my middle daughter who's six like are constantly fighting i mean they just it's a non-stop war <laughs> between, between the two of them <laughs> you know my younger daughter just wants uh her older sister to to love her and just to be there for her and my my oldest is like not having any part of that and my <laughs> son who's the youngest is just sort of in the middle of the whole thing watching it go down so yeah i mean to answer your question there's plenty of there's plenty of material I mean, they're much younger than than our heroes in this in this book, but you know, I don't think that stuff changes even as we get older. It's still a yeah. dynamic that they're they're in a confined, um, you know, in your case, they they, they live together. In this, they were in like a prison. Mm-hmm. So, um, and Leanne is a, just a great character too to write. Cause, you know, one thing that this book has for people that haven't read it. I always wanted to have two stories. So you get like a sort of a ongoing serial story, which is like the main tale. And then there's always like a self-contained backup and I'm able to just have, you know, Liana specific stories. You know, we do two of them and they're just so much fun. Right. And one of them, uh, your collaborator from dead horse, Phil Sloan, one of my favorite artists drew, got to draw Liana, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was like a, a little sort of ghost story that we did called Ghosts in the Darkness that Phil drew. And the other backup story was uh, done by Will Perkins, who does uh, the Beware comic. Right. And you just knew it had to be a Perkins brother because there was a frog involved. (laughs) And I had that written before. Like, you know, originally Dave was going to do all of the stuff. Um, And then, you know, as we were going, his his availability just started to diminish. Um, So then I was like, I have this frog story. Like, who else are you going to ask? to to get in on this but but will yeah will perkins in the in the sci-fi comics you know again these they're they're great sci-fi stories um one of them is heavily features the frogmen from outer space and will just got engaged i think so if you're listening congrats congrats, will (laughs) um but yeah liana is a is a very cool character in in her own right and i know that with dead horse you um you had a character at least that you you know, again, like you felt that there was so much of her own story that would need to be explored someday. So here in Planet Gigantic, you've taken this really cool, like, you know, pulp comic approach to it where you're just getting in these few pages at a time. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that because it's like it feels um, just I mean, it it's like a bonus. It's, you know, then you get back into in, into the bigger story with Yuri and Valentina. And it's like, oh, yeah, I know a little bit more about who she is. Yeah. Now. And I always love that, too, like the old uh, like Strange Tales, like how they introduce Dr. Strange is you have, you know, sort of the the main story. But then there's these backups where you can really be more experimental. You know, I have a huge notebook full of these sort of side stories that I want to do. 
um, where you can just really explore different parts of the mythology or introduce new characters without bogging down your main narrative with a bunch of stuff that's, you know, sort of not feeding into the overall story. So it was just like a perfect opportunity to try new things. And also once David wasn't doing, it was like a great way to work with other artists that I wanted to work with, you know, in this world too. So I really, I really like doing those, those little backups, backup stories. So will we get to learn more about uh, Queen Neva and the other queens this way, or are they going to be main story? I think most of that will be main story. I mean, but there's nothing saying that I couldn't do, you know, a story about Queen Neva from her perspective or um, one of the other sisters. Um, You know, we've only met three. You know, there's in the Frog Runner, you meet uh, one of the sisters is actually a frog. Spoiler. And, uh, you know, we also hear about Liana's mother. Um, so within future arcs, we'll definitely visit her realm. You know, that's one thing. There's seven realms within this known world, and each is run uh, by a queen, and they're all, you know, sisters. Uh, there's also more to the world outside of that that we haven't quite discovered. You know, in in one of the backup stories, you sort of, uh, Liana flies by like a, these giant robots in the ocean that are old and decrepit. Uh, so who put them there? You know, what uh, society existed before, you know, before uh, the current one. So there's just a ton of opportunity for for story in this world. Yeah, that definitely brings back Hercules feelings. Of, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and like He-Man used to be like that, too, before the, you know, before the cartoon, uh, when it. I don't know if you got into He-Man at all, um, but I was way into He-Man. And they came with, like, these mini-comics. I don't know if you remember those. No, I don't remember the comics. I do remember – I mean, I loved uh, He-Man and She-Ra cartoons. Yeah, though. the the toys, though, came with these comics that had a much different backstory than what you got from the cartoon, where it was like this. And it's very much, like, in the same vein as Planet Gigantic. There was, like, this apocalypse or something that happened. Like, Castle Grayskull, nobody even knew what that was. I mean, that was from some older civilization. And He-Man was more like a Conan figure. Like, there was no Prince Adam or any of that stuff. Um, but those were just... And, like, the idea, and you get this toy, and then you get this comic. Like, that was, like, a as a kid, like, that was, like, mind-blowing. You know, this whole mythology in the world. And I loved the idea of those of those mini-comics. So that's... Definitely. I don't know why I started talking about He-Man, but there, I probably had a reason. Why was I talking about He-Man in many comics? Herculoids, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but I, but yeah, that's uh, when you're, you know, you're mixing these sort of like magical supernatural powers, and yet you've got sort of um, fantasy, that barbarianishness to some of the some of the way that people the people live or the characters live and stuff. Um but Queen Neva is you know, again brings back more of that like dark crystal kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Um she's so cool and we see her uh go through transformations into um slightly different versions of herself. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so her her whole thing is as I mentioned, there's seven sisters that run uh that each run their own realm she's now declared war and she's going to be attacking the other realms. And and one of her strategies is she has like this dark necromancer uh, named Narog who has a machine that's able to sort of steal people's powers. Um, So we see her take powers from, from, from Batman, not the Batman, a man bat or a batling, I should say. 
Um, right, um, right. And she, <laughs> when she sees these our heroes, you know, Yuri and Valentina, they have, you know, Yuri is able to control electromagnetic energy and Valentina is able to manipulate sort of gravity and she wants those powers. So that's sort of her, her goal is to hook them to this machine and take their powers and she's going to use their powers to dominate all the realms and destroy her other sisters. Um, there's been sort of a peace for many, many centuries and now she's broken it. And part of the, um, yeah, they're sort of like questing for ingredients, it seems like, um, to, I don't know if it's to get the spells to keep going or whatever it is, but Liana is after these different eyes that, that, that are, she's collecting. Yes, yeah, so there's a backup story in the first issue called The Eye of the Sun where she's collecting this this eye. And in the main story that we we learn that she allows herself to be, you know, I guess I'm probably spoiling some some stuff, but she allows herself to be kidnapped by Queen Neva because Neva has a staff that has another one of these eyes. Um, so each realm has an eye uh, that we'll learn later on, you know, can all be used in some secret hidden temple somewhere to do something wonderful that may or may yeah. not have to do with the robots, but I'll, I'll leave that there. Um, yeah, so she's she's looking for all of this stuff. Um, what was the other thing you said about the oh the the blood silk right? So they're they're also right. mining this blood silk, and that's used by Narag for his machine to sort of steal these these beings' power. So when you're crafting this uh, story, you know you're taking. Um, you have the queen, you have her, uh, you know, angered by by people, and she puts them in a working a working type of prison, you know, which we've you know we've seen through time uh, in, in a lot of different kinds of fiction and in the real mm -hmm. world, uh, people captured and and being put to work in in mines, and he, so you've got these sort of mega massive caterpillars with this blood silk mm -hmm. that that they make and that needs to be mined and stuff. So, uh, like. What was the decision making in saying, okay, I'm going to go with caterpillars or, you know, like, thankfully you didn't use spiders. I appreciate yeah. that. Be only because <laughs> we had used spiders already in the the prequel issue. There was giant space spiders. So I was like, I can't use space spiders again. I mean, we've already done spiders. So what else? And I was, I felt like the, uh, you know, the centipede is not used enough. So I was like, you know, I'm going to put a giant centipede in there. But that was it. I don't have a better answer than, uh, you know, doing research on these types of, and there's, there's also some, uh, a plot thing that happens that they realize how they're going to sort of get away from one of the loose centipedes that is based on behavior of like some South American variety of centipede that it's sort of, you know, loosely based on, well, but it was, you know, it was just, okay, what are really cool? Like, that's the thing that's so great about this book, you know, compared to some of the other stuff, especially like dead horse, which is so layered and it's, sort of an ongoing thing and everything has to sort of have some kind of meaning and, 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 and unlock a puzzle at the end of it. Whereas this, it's like anything goes, it's like, you know, it's fantasy, but it's also sci-fi. It's like, I basically can do whatever I want. And so it's a matter of what would be a cool thing for, for David to draw and what would be sort of an exciting thing for people to read. Okay. So the fact that they can ride on um, like, Gigantic grasshoppers, and that the the centipedes are. Yeah, and those fun. things, those grat the the gra the hopper things are supposed to be like cave crickets. Do you know what those are? Yes. Oh, I've been playing. I by have cave them all over. Like they're all over our house. Like we have, we have we're like infested with them at one point. You, yeah, I used to have a garage, and it was it was like going through an Indiana Jones temple just to get to the car. It was frightening. Yeah. They were 
everywhere. People can't appreciate this, but how huge these it's, things they're are. They're huge, and if you're not familiar with them, they're from what I've been able to research, they're close to blind. So they use their they have these long antennas that sort of feel around. So when they jump, they often will jump at you. So if you corner one, it'll jump right in your face. Um, and I've read that they do that to intimidate uh, predators, but I think it's probably more likely that they can't see, so they're just sort of jumping, you know, in any direction. So they would just freak my, as a kids would freak my, my sister out to no end, and she's still terribly afraid of them. Uh, but you're right, they get huge. They're just like really wild looking. They People sometimes will refer to them as spiders. They look like, you know, cricket spiders, or I think people call them sprickets, but they're actually... Uh, a species of, of cricket. Yeah. They're, they're, so I, I, you know, I actually was wondering for a split second if it's that your insect creatures are really, really huge or if your um, humanoid <laughs> creatures are really If everybody's small. totally tiny. Yeah. That is an angle I did not think about, but I guess that could be planet gigantic is actually small and it's at the end of it, it's in like a, a glass, a snow globe at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you just wrote the ending. So that's uh there. I guess yeah. Let me let me help with the backup feature. <laughs> it's alternate like alternate directors cut. Right, and that would make sense because you could never make insects really that big uh, in the real world because they it would not function. Right. So they're they're hard enough to manage now. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't have because I don't uh, have the the cave cricket problem right now. I have uh, the stink bug problem perpetually. We don't get to we. Once in a while, we'll get stink bugs, but I've seen you post and stuff about that. It seems like you're just overrun with them. Yeah, it's pretty awful. Here. Yeah, for us, it's like that, but with those cave crickets. And it's it's funny because in uh, in the Vamplets book, they have a stink bug character who doesn't stink, so he's shunned by the other like <laughs> out you know like the other weirdos right. of his community. Whatever. He's a weirdo of the weirdos. Um. So this uh, is this the sort of thing that you just like imagined as a kid? Like I can't even I remember playing with bugs as a kid before I got phobic about them. Yeah, when I was a kid, I had a pet cricket for a while, which was a very traumatic experience because I was also sort of a pyromaniac slash cricket lover. And I remember as a uh -huh. kid, because my attention span was so off that I ended up like having a cricket and then just lighting newspapers on fire. So this speaks a lot to my parents as far as like the kind of supervision I had. But, you know, I had a, a single mother and I would spend a lot of time in the back by myself. And I inadvertently killed the cricket, which was a huge, uh, you know, moment of depression and, and, and horror at, the, at, at my hands. I've done this horrible thing to this poor cricket. Um, and so from then on, I wouldn't let my mom hurt any insects. I still, I still do it like to this day. Like if there's bugs in the house, I will take them outside. I, I just can't. I'm not a squasher, just not a squasher. And I remember having like this existential crisis too. when my mom was like spraying, it's probably a cricket with like raid or something and like being like, but if someone sprayed you, like the injustice of this, you know, us as these gods killing these, this poor defenseless cricket. I, I have that same thing only with bees because I know that there's a, a bee problem. Mm -hmm. that we really need to save the bees, but it's um, we have so many wasps outside that you can't even just sit outside and enjoy them, enjoy the, you know, being out there. And, uh, you know, so we do keep a, a spray can just sitting there and sometimes uh, the bees won't go away. And it's like, no, you're supposed to go and take care of <laughs> 
hours and leave me a hell Yeah, I mean, you have to draw the line. If they're going to hurt your you or your family or whatever, then it's like, like ticks. I have no problem killing ticks. I ticks, I will kill ticks. Uh, ticks led to, well, they didn't, they didn't lead to it, but they contributed to when I started getting really weirdly phobic about yeah, bugs. Yeah, ticks are awful. Mosquitoes. And sometimes I will say, like, they, I just have these, like, the day that will live in cave cricket history. Um, you know, where I go down there and I take them all out with a vacuum cleaner. But I make it like it's a more of a religious thing that, that happens every, you know, it's basically I bring the apocalypse. Um, so I'm not, I'm not uh, perfect by any means as far as sparing these these animals or insects. Yeah, it was definitely a change because I can remember playing, um, playing with bugs. And then um, one year we were camping and somehow we got light and that, you know, all I remember was my dad using the word bugs mm-hmm. and saying, well, it's bugs in your hair. And I just remember that was probably the first panic attack I ever had in my life was uncontrollably crying. Yeah, nobody wants and, to hear that. Like, oh, those bugs, they're in your hair. <laughs> they're in your hair. And my dad, like having me like bent over the the sink and trying to like wash my hair in the sink and you know and and once is never enough you have to apply the that shampoo and stuff like a bunch yeah, of times I'm, our kids have i didn't have lice and my, our kids have not had lice but every once in a while it goes through the school and it's like a, i'm just freaked out that the, we're gonna we're gonna get lice i don't want lice yeah and that's and that was like that was my traumatic moment. That was my cave cricket moment. Was uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but as far as like these worlds and stuff too, like I, I remember like you know one thing I was way into was robots. Like I was like a robot freak. But I had like all these notebooks where I just have like these biographies, like long winded biographies about all these things that I would draw. I draw these characters and create these, and it's. There's some similarity to Planet Organic where I had, you know, it was like a world and different people ran different parts of it and they would constantly be at war. But mostly it was just like regurgitating, you know, G.I. Joe comics or whatever Transformers stuff that I was watching or reading at the time. But like that sort of like world building was always sort of a focus of my life. So, so much fun. I wish I still had those books, though. I was I don't know what happened to them. (laughs) I yeah I just remember um, I just remember so much influence from cartoons. Yeah, it was a big part. I mean, I think we talked about this in a previous uh, episode. Oh, sure, where yeah. Just like you know, because Saturday morning cartoons that was like it was, was such a thing. thing. Yeah, that's completely dead now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one of the, the sort of pulp-like retro things that you do with Planet Gigantic um, is you have these little ads for Astro Spies. So I'm going to ask, is this a real address? That's real. Like people- That's real. I've sent those cards out. I have, you, I'm not kidding. Like you can get a, a card with a decoder thing on the back. Um, you get stickers. You get a letter from Dr. Roberta Riley, signed by Dr. Roberta Riley, I might add. Um, yeah, I've sent those out. It's very cool. Like I've had that P.O. box for... 2012. As soon as I started doing those fake ads, I've been paying for it. And the people at the post office are just, every time I go to check, because there's usually never anything in there, they're like, nope. And they can't believe that I just keep paying for it. And then finally, once the book came out, we started to get uh, some letters. Not a lot, but every once in a while, they trickle in because I think, I don't think people think it's real. I think they think it's sort of a joke. 
That's good. Yeah, because I was curious. I'm like, well, Red Bank. I'm like, I think he lives around there. So maybe it's a real address. It's totally real. And there's like a website you can go to um, that is said in the letter. And then you can decode something and go in. And I put a bunch of there's like, uh, well, I'll let you I'll let, you know, people want to do it. They can find out what's on there. There's a couple of little extra goodies on that site. And uh, because I think um, maybe it was just for the Kickstarter, but I think Jamal Igle did something similar with Molly Danger. Yeah, he has like, I I think they're called dart cards or something. He's got some kind of membership thing. I don't know what the details are, though. Yeah, so it's something something similar. But it's like, I remember that from old comics and, um, you know, old magazines where it was just like, it's your Justice League of America yeah, card. Yeah, absolutely. That was, and, this, and Christmas Story, too. Like, that's, I love that movie and the whole, you know, you know uh, Annie Decoder card and everything with Ovaltine. So just things like that are just so cool. I, I, I just like having the opportunity to do that, even if it's for a handful of people. Just the fact that somebody has the card at their house and they're decoding the thing is very, makes me feel happy. How do you um, come up with with riddles and mysteries and things? Because this is something that I tend to struggle with, and it's really hard because it's what I want to do. It's, you know, it's like when that's what you want to do with your life, you really hope that you're good at it. And uh, you know, I when I I remember old cartoons about um, how how Robin from Batman mm-hmm. Robin how he he was really good with solving riddles and puzzles. I was like, man, I'm just how do you, how do you write that? Like, how do you, I understand that you have to get to the ending, so you have to kind of like reverse engineer. So how are you with crafting mysteries and riddles? God, I don't know. I wish I had a good answer. Um, there is a lot of, like, especially this, Planet Organic, not so much a mystery. I mean, there's definitely mysterious elements, and I know big things that I'm going to hit, and therefore I'll put lines in the thing in the background that are going to speak to that later so that if you do reread it, you're like, Oh, okay. They mentioned this here or, okay, I see where that's going. Dead. Yeah. yeah Dead War is much more involved. So I have like, and I had the ending for that since I started. Um, most of the main milestones I've had, but things change. I just know we're going here and you know, whether or not I, uh, you know, how I get there. I just heard on word balloon, Kelly Sue DeConnick said something about comparing it to driving, which I thought was a perfect, metaphor that you know you're going from you know i don't remember the city she used but i thought it's chicago to new york or something and you know you're going to arrive in new york but you can only see as far as your headlights in your car because it's very dark and it's very foggy so that's all you can sort of see is a couple of scenes ahead but you know where you're going so the the goal is there um and that and, and in a way and it's very much like that for me um so then so well, I'll, I'll know sort of okay these are the big reveals that are going to happen or this character is really this this is really their motivation. So I'll go back when I'm lettering or when I'm writing, and then I'll start putting clues for that in. Or if I know, like with Dead Horse, I knew I was going to introduce this character called Lacey Kind, who's like a TV talk show host very much, uh, but not at all, like uh, I have to say, not at all, like uh, Nancy Grace. Uh, not at all, <laughs> you know, based off of her as a person. Um, yeah, I did not send pictures of her for reference material or anything like that. That would be ridiculous. She's got a different name. So I knew like I was introducing her show and for Dead Horse also has back matter material. So I had an interview or one of the characters commits suicide and there's a news report about this incident that happened. And because it's on a website, there's ads on websites. So I could create an ad for 
Lacey's show and put it in there. And anyone seeing it thinks it's just sort of a one-off gag. But it's really sort of a little hint at a character that we're going to introduce two issues later. Um, there was also like a top stories thing on that page, and I was able to sort of hint at things that were going to happen. And it's basically doing that all the time throughout the book. And, you know, as long as I sort of land the plane okay and pay off on a lot of these things, you know, I think it'll all work out really well. That brings up some interesting points about how robust you're, um, you're making the, the franchise, if you will, of whether it's Dead Horse or Planet Gigantic, how you put in the, this, these extra bits of work, like the, the membership cards for Astro Spies and stuff. Um, it's, that's so much more work than writing a script and having you know the illustrations and lettering done and then you know out there i mean you're you're adding work to yourself yes. yeah it's a lot of work like i spend so much time doing something that no one is ever going to care about like there's there's uh one of the issues of dead horse there's an interview with a fictitious band um that i put like a, a little there's a little sort of hint about what everything's really about buried within the interview but i tried to make the interview like really boring and like just like you would see a typical interview on some music site and I'm sitting there and I spent so much time researching uh, interviews with other bands and trying to and doing a fake interview with myself for a, a band that didn't exist and spending like hours just doing it, knowing that most yeah. people are going to see that, see a bunch of text and never bother uh, doing it with all the characters. I have a character uh, uh, like a word document that has backstories like on Kent, who's this uh, former 80s. Uh, pop icon who's living in this, you know, like a uh, cabin in the middle of Alaska. So I have his, all of the albums that came out like on Motown records and which ones were good and which ones were bad. And the album that he released in his quote Berlin period that sold like 16 copies that I'm typing up and it's spending hours on it, you know, to send to, to Phil and Marissa, but probably no one's ever going to read that. I don't know if I'm ever going to use that information, but it just feels more real. You know, the world becomes real. And once you really, really learn who these people are, you know, these characters are, then it's a lot easier when you're writing them because you just, you can see sort of their motivations or how they would react in a scene versus just a character that, you know, you only know his couple of lines or her couple of lines from within, you know, some, some scene with your main character, if that makes sense. Yeah. I know that, um, that, God, that just sounds like so much work. It is. But, um, definitely a lot. It's definitely a lot of work. You also um, have the, you know, other talents with visual arts that, you know, maybe some other writers don't have, whereas you can do graphic work because you do like the layouts and the cover designs and stuff a lot of the times. And, and I love that, like your, your interior cover pages are always like really awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely something I love to do. Um, but it also, it's like, you know, we were talking about this before sort of we we started recording, but it's like there's so many costs with trying to do a comic that anywhere that you can save money by doing it yourself. You know, for me, I'm like, I, I got to learn how to do that. If I don't know how to letter, I got to learn how to letter because, um, you know, not only do I like doing it, I can't possibly make this book because it's not going to make any money. And I have to, you know, people have to get paid and everything. So, you know, a lot of it becomes just from life making you, you know, just do it, learn it. 
Yeah, and so is it the same thing with uh, your little website bonuses, like the, the little yeah, as far as me doing them, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's all just stuff that that I would do. I mean, the artwork, obviously, that's all from David uh, in terms of Planet Gigantic or Phil and Marissa for Dead Horse and stuff. So, like, I, it's easy for me. I mean, I can design this stuff and put this stuff together and cobble stuff, but I'm using assets from, you know, really brilliant artists. So that makes it a lot easier uh, to do, too. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it is a lot of work. Do I – is it too much? <laughs> I don't know. I like it, you know. It's like – I feel like uh, – it just makes the whole world feel a lot more like a place I want to live in. Well, it's, um, you know, it just kind of gets my, my mind thinking about all of the different possible things that you can incorporate these days. Like you could make some kind of special app for people to download on their phones that, you know, I don't know, could do sure. something or, you know. Yeah, that, that was like, I mean, I had certainly big visions of doing that stuff too like especially with dead horse in the beginning like i wanted to have an app and then you would have all the backup things and all the would be in like a room and they would get unlocked and you know you would get a vhs tape would appear and you could hit play in a video and all that stuff and then you realize quickly like i can't make that (laughs) i don't have the time to do that i can barely get this script done like you know so there you definitely have to call some of the some of the more uh, grand ideas, but it is about, you know, you got to try different things and just see what works. Um, you know, would I do a whole card thing again for something else? Maybe, but maybe not. I mean, it's, it's, it's expensive. I mean, the cards weren't free and the post office box isn't free and all the time it takes to do that stuff. But, you know, you just got to see what works and try new things and, you know, hopefully it all pays off. And you do this with three kids running around. So how on earth do you get even, you know, scripts? Yeah, done? I mean, I'm I'm slow, a slow writer generally because I do a lot of rewriting. Um, but I write, you know, Monday through Friday about an hour to two hours a day, and I do that in the morning. So for, for me too, for you know, I have it very good because I have a company that I run with my wife. So I work from home, so I don't have to go to an office, and I don't have anyone that's telling me what to do. You know, I'm, you know, for all intents and purposes in charge of my own, you know, time and everything. So I'm able to write in the morning. And then once I finish, you know, usually around 10 o'clock, then I just, you know, go to work, you know, as a normal person. And then at night, if I have art, a letter, which is also for me a form of writing, because that's always really my, my final draft. So that system is great. I used to like when I was younger I, and I see people like talking about writing all night and doing that. I just can't. I can't do it. I mean, I'm 40. and I don't know if it's because of my age or just I'm just wiped at the end of the day. I am, too. That's why I'm always amazed when I hear people do yeah. that. So it's like morning is a perfect time. You know, I have a shower, have a cup of coffee and then just get to work. And when you're you're working, um like you said, you've got uh, Phil and Marissa, Marissa Louise, uh, working on Dead Horse and stuff. And on this book, you're you're mainly working with Dave Halverson. And um, but again, you've you've brought in uh, Phil and uh, and Will Perkins once in a while. Um, so, are, do you guys like? Is it all through email that you collaborate, or do you um, do you Skype? How how yeah, do you operate? Uh, David, I don't. I mean, we would just talk sort of over email usually. Uh, in the beginning, I think we Skyped a couple of times, um, but he's a very busy person and he's a bit of a, a mystery too within himself. 
Um, he, you, you never see him really on social media much or, or Facebook or anything. Um, but with Phil, like I'm friends with Phil too. So like I probably text Phil 300 times a day, probably. Um, I love, I love the, I mean, I love seeing you guys together. Yeah. I mean, we're just like, we talk on the phone or, uh, text or whatever, usually text and, and email. Um, and Marissa, she's, she's great. She's super busy. I mean, usually we talk probably over email once in a while we'll, we'll text or whatever. Um, but you know, just make, oh, and then Will too. Will's also someone I think we've probably have Skyped and emailed. Um, but that's usually what it is. I have like this thing called Basecamp that we use, I use for work and I would use that for some comic projects and it's like a project management tool so I can upload reference photos or scripts or whatever there. Um, and it allows people to, you know, everybody on the team to get the, the file at once, and, you know, versions it and all that. That's pretty cool. So it's uh, it's not necessarily like um, a conference call. It's more like a Dropbox that you can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, with Phil, not so much anymore. But in the beginning, like I would send him an issue and then we would have a call just to review the issue um, just because so I can answer any questions he might have or uh, we could just talk through stuff. Um but yeah, for the most part, it's just sort of like sharing Dropbox stuff. Like for uh, Marissa too, like I'll I'll put together just notes or whatever on like color stuff. Um, I'm just always trying to find the way that's going to work for people um, to make it so that people don't have to ever do anything more than once. You know, that's like the the ultimate goal is to to do it once and never have to redo art. Yeah, because it's um, it's time consuming. So. We're, do you know if uh, if if David actually goes through a, a thumbnail? Yeah, yeah, he'll like, um, yeah, he he'll send me thumbnails in the beginning, or you know, inks to you know. So I'll always I'll always see art as it comes in, uh, usually uh, pencils and then inks and then colors, you know, in, in that order. So if there is something wrong, you know, you have to make sure that that's pointed out when it's pencils and not inks or you know colors but you know so that that usually happens I, i'm trying to think of thumbnails i know i get a lot more probably from david than phil phil usually will just send me um the pencils but i mean we, we've been working together you know both david you know this thing we started in 2012 it's coming out now it's 2015 so it's it was a couple of years that we actually made it and with phil we've been doing it since 2009 so we're just sort of at a point too where I think he totally gets where I'm coming from and I get where he's coming from. So it's much easier. You know, when you start with someone new in the beginning, you just have to figure out what's going to work best for everybody. Yeah, there's definitely uh, the, a comfort level and and you can, you can sort of feel it when you're, you're reading through all of this, like, you, you know, especially with like we were talking about with tone and texture and character design and everything. Like I have no doubt that, uh, you know, that what they're, they're putting out for you is exactly what you want. Yeah, it's great. Or in terms where it's different, it's, you know, it's better than, than what I imagined too. Better than what you imagined. <laughs> yeah, that's always good to have that kind of trust. So I am, but you know, like you and Phil live uh, close enough together that you can go to conventions and, and everything together. Uh, what about the rest of your team? I know Claire is from Jersey too, but uh, David's out there in what, yeah, Iowa. I've all, he's in Iowa, and he does. To my knowledge, he doesn't really do any conventions or or signings or anything. Um, but one day, I've never you know, like I've never met him in person. Uh, we've seen each other on Skype. You know, if we do a video Skype. Um, 
but yeah, I would love to to meet him in person. But yeah, Phil's like you know the guy that I've pretty much done. There's been I don't think only once or twice that I've actually done anything without Phil there. Now that I think about it, and Marissa's on the West Coast, so maybe one day I'll get out to do a show. You know, I always see people talking about like Emerald City Comic Con, and and that's something I would like to do, but I don't know when that'll happen. Well, for the you know for those of you that are here around the, the Jersey area, it seems like we're having so many small New Jersey shows pop up out of nowhere. It's like we went for how long without having anything at all or anything. Yeah, decent. and now there's a lot. Now there's a lot. I mean, there was just uh, like a show in Camden or something. I don't know if it was at Rutgers or through Rutgers or whatever, but it was, I'm like, I'm not going to Camden for a comic yeah, It's hard. Yeah. I mean, these cons too are very hard because they get very expensive. They're not, sometimes the tables aren't very cheap. And then if you don't sell enough to cover your table, let alone cover the stuff you printed, you know, it's, it's hard. So you got to, you know, sometimes there's too many conventions and then you're, you're worried that, you know, the audience is spread too thin. So do you know uh, which ones you'll um, be Yeah, I'm de- doing, let's see, I'm doing East Coast Comic Con. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, East Coast Comic Con. Former, former Asbury Park. Park Comic Con. And I think that's in April, but I'll have to look at the site to be sure. I'm doing Wizard World Philly for the first time. And that was actually, was they invited me to that. So that was like a very exciting moment that I got a, a table or whatever from them i'm doing probably a free comic book day although i haven't figured out where i'm doing it and then what else am i doing i feel like i'm missing something is there another show i'm missing there's the um the garden state comic fest oh yeah i didn't do are you doing that um, I'm thinking of, of trying to get up there this year because I know that they, they had such a great successful year last year and I didn't go that, um, yeah, I'm thinking of seeing, seeing how that is because I like the people who go there and uh, the guy who runs it. That's um, cool. Yeah, I should check that out. I mean, I, I should probably do more shows. I just don't like to go out of my house. I like to spend yeah, time with my family. <laughs> no, I really understand that feeling and that's, um, you know, is uh, bringing back the New York Special Edition, um, which is like the smaller version of New York Comic Con. It's just the Artist Alley portion, and doing that in the, in the spring, summer as well. So that is happening. At, are you? Did you do that last it, time? I yeah. did. I loved it. I liked it so much. It was just. It was quiet and peaceful, and you just. Um, some people had a really great show as far as selling. Uh, other people didn't. Yeah, I did New York it's, Comic Fest, which was the same day as that. Yeah, and I did, that was like the show, the people that run the show are great. And the people that I was next to were great, but I have never sold so poorly. It was like, it was bad news for me as far as like sales go. So it was like, you know, wow, it cost me this much to get here and to do this. And and I heard also from people that did the, the one you're talking about that also didn't do that hot. So I don't know if it was just because there was also a third show at the same time, like that. Yeah. There were things all right around in the same area, the same New York area, um, all on the same weekend. So I don't know if that problem's going to happen again. Yeah, people just need to keep these cons on different days. I mean, it's just, I understand there's sort of, maybe there's a comp- competitive thing um, or not, but it doesn't do the fans or the creators any good. My opinion. Right. 
Right. And, you know, and it's picking and choosing, like you said, whether you're attending as a creator or attending as a fan. Um, you know, I'm not going to go into New York that many times, even if they were on different weekends. Right. <laughs> you know, that's cost too much money. Yeah. And that's, I guess, New York Comic Con, too. I've been doing that. I've done that every year now since 2010. I don't know if I'm going to do it. And when I say do that, I, I will go there and I'll sign it like the Action Lab table or whatever. But I, I have never gotten an artist alley table. I don't even know if I want to do that. We, we saw each other last time and like we both had, right. I think rough goes. I know I got stuck on a train and I'm yeah. like, I don't know yeah. if I want to do this. I mean, certainly if somebody wants to invite me, I'll do it, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do that this year. At least like you said, um, you know, the action lab booth is really quite large. So you know that there's a place for you if you want to do a signing, but yeah, it was brutal. Like some of my trips in were like two hours just to get to the Javits Center. Yeah, yeah it's rough. And I know, too, it, this is not going to help my career to not want to leave my house. But, uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Yeah, but, you know, it, you're not um, a complete hermit either. Like, you know, you have a preference for the smaller things. So, you know, I'm sure, like you said, free comic book day and um, different bookstore signings are, are more your speed. Yeah, than, definitely. Um, I just feel like you'd, you meet people more or at least you know you don't meet as many other creators it's not good for networking i mean i understand the draw of having to go to cons and you know people that are better at networking tend to make more connections and it definitely helps uh to get to know editors and stuff like that you know but i can't even do that stuff like i'm just my plan is just hopefully the work will be enough and eventually the work will get to the right people um, but as far as like meeting people that actually care about reading the book i feel like it's much better to do a comic shop that you like that's run by good people and to deal with their customers. And then you actually can talk to people and it's not just this media, you know, attack assault from all sides. That is my experience with some of the bigger cons. Right. And with the, the bigger shows as a creator, one of the difficult things is you sort of have this obligation to do the, the after parties to that's where you really get to network and you're still screaming and losing your voices because you can't hear any better in a bar than you can in, you know, in the convention hall. But like when you and Phil and I, like we just, we managed to find like the only quiet bar in all of Manhattan. <laughs> and I don't even think we spoke. We're yeah. So no, tired. it's like, yeah, it's a definitely sort of uh I probably make some of the wrong choices as far as letting my social anxiety dictate, like, you know, oh, where's the place that no one's at? I got to That's where I'm going to go. Yeah, let's, let's go, go there. there and Bye. yeah, yeah, probably not a good, good thing. Oh, I, but I, but I had such a better time. Yeah. yeah. Like, then like I tried to go into the image party where you can't even walk. There's just, it's just bodies. It's just a body after body after body. And it takes 20 minutes to get a drink and, you know, can't hear the person right next to you. And I was so miserable. I lasted like five or 10 minutes. I drank, I, I just, I got my drink. I drank it as fast as I could. I'm like, I am out of here. <laughs> but, uh, so that's, well, hopefully, you know, the, the smaller shows, like, uh, like you said, East coast comic con and stuff. I, you know, I think you'll do, you'll do well because you can talk to people. Yeah. yeah it'll be cool. Yeah. So for right now, that's pretty much what I have lined up. I guess I'll put that on my website or something. I should probably advertise that stuff more. Yeah, you should. At least even if you just put question marks by, have some kind right. of schedule of, of of where you might be going. So um, 
what uh, before I let you go, what reading recommendations do you have or movie recommendations? Because I know you like films too. I do, too. I do. Um, I haven't been reading anything, which is terrible. Like I had been reading Confederacy of Dunces because I've had it on my shelf since I was like 22 years old. Like I have a whole bunch of like, this is an amazing book. I gotta, I gotta own this book. I'm gonna put this right here and read 30 pages of it, and then never go back to it. So I had been doing that, and also reading like uh, I have like the the Ditko Lee Spider-Man omnibus that I've had at my bedside. But I haven't. I've just been so busy with trying to finish up Dead Horse because I'm scripting the last two issues that's going to complete and end the whole series. So that's pretty much been taking up all of my time. I've also, I'm trying to think of, did I see any good movies or anything? Not really. I don't think there's anything that's jumping out at me. I also got Majora's Mask for uh, for a 3DS. So Zelda fans, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Because I'm a grown man and I can do these things. <laughs> but yeah, hey, I wish I had some better things. I wish I could recommend some things. I'm still, like, monthly books, I'm still reading Mind Management. I'd still love uh, Matt Kent's work on that. And what else do I like? What else do I like? What are you reading? What am I reading? Um, Wicked and the Divine I like a lot. That's on my to-be-read list. I haven't actually taken the time like you. It's been sitting there. Um, If it's anything like Why the Last Man, that means I'll get to it in five years. Uh, Because I'm I'm always such a slow reader. But um, but I do try every once in a while. Something will really catch my attention. Um, Like Trees from uh, Jason Howard and Warren Ellis. I love that book as far as like mature content goes, but I read a lot of um, like stuff like Planet Gigantic. I read a lot of the, the all ages stuff like Penny Dora and the wishing box and odd normal. Those are image books. Um, Hero cats is like my favorite thing in the world right now. Um, I just can't get enough. Hero cats is, you know, by, by action lab. Um, And uh, I just read part-time princesses, which is published by Oni. And I just I like Oni because they they're sort of um, they put out really unique things and you can tell that they're selective about what they put out. And I liked uh, Monica Gallagher's who who makes it. And I liked uh, a book of hers that I read called Boobage, and it was about like the the awkwardness or you know the joy and the love that that a girl can go through about you know her body development and stuff. And and I liked that book so much that when I heard uh, heard Part Time Princesses was coming out, I was like, oh well, what's this? And I I was expecting it to be a fantasy thing like Princeless right. or uh, you know or whatever, but it's not it's a real world thing they're called part-time princesses because they're about a, a a group of mean girls from senior high school students who work part-time at an amusement park as the princesses of the park mm. so um but i so i read that and i really loved it um so that's the kind of stuff that i've been reading cool i should check that out oh yeah, you know what uh, i could recommend because i read it before uh it was warlock jim starlin's warlock is amazing it's awesome old 70s Marvel. I was going to say that sounds yes, like old. you just want to listen to Pink Floyd and crash a van into something. That's <laughs> awesome. And that book was like a huge sort of inspiration too. Like his, I'm just sort of getting into his work. Um, I wasn't always that really that familiar with him. But like his panel layouts and like there's definitely stuff that's seeping into the later issues of Dead Horse just with the way that he's just like the, the coloring and everything. It's just it's amazing. And there's something to be said for like a, you know, a cartoonist doing a book, you know, where they're writing it and, and drawing it 
and just getting that pure sort of vision of someone, uh, that's great. Yeah, I, I mean, hey, I wish I could. Yeah, so, oh, God, so do I. I mean, I, yeah, as a writer that's not drawing, it's not the best thing, but I would like to see more, uh, you know, more people tackling books like that that are doing both writing and drawing. And, uh, but I don't know, uh, have I seen any movies? No, like the last movie I think I saw was John Wick, which was, you know, to me, breathtaking. Mm-hmm. I loved it. It was, it was paced and acted very, very yeah. well. I mean, to me, it's like Keanu's best work. Yeah, that's why I've um, heard so, a lot of good things about that. Yeah, but um, I I stayed up and watched the the Parks and Rec finale. Um, was it good? Yeah, it was I have, good. I mean, I'm I'm watching that show, I guess, on Netflix, so I'm behind. Yeah. from wherever. How many seasons is it? Well, I think it's six, okay. but I think the season, they they feel like really yeah, short. Yeah, I'm on seasons. season four, so I'm I'm well behind. But yeah, I think they're more like um short like maybe 16 if that not even 16 episodes a season i don't know maybe but it doesn't feel like like some of the other shows that i'm used to are like 22 episodes per season they you know they feel very long um so parks and rec doesn't doesn't feel that way and it's a very fast show and it's only the have a half hour format anyway but um yeah they uh it was satisfying like you know happy endings uh for for the characters which was nice um but i didn't laugh hysterically like you know i was kind of expecting um i was expecting it to be funnier and it just wasn't it was all sweet mushy yeah. yeah it's definitely hard to to you know to end things and satisfy everybody and yeah they so they ended it really well as far as like where all of these characters were going on their career traje- trajectories and stuff so that was cool, cool. mostly I'd, I'd watch a lot of documentaries too and, and probably like Frontline <laughs> Netflix, like the serious second front is uh, it's really good and really sad. Like there's this whole thing about where do this sort of follow kids around? Um, and you, you're watching that and you just completely put your whole life into a different perspective and you feel like garbage. And like United States of Secrets is also excellent. I would recommend people watch that all about the NSA programs. Oh, which one is that? It's for, like if you go to Netflix, like they, you know, PBS is online. They have a bunch of them. There's one that uh, serious second front, um, okay. which has some like ISIS stuff in Syria. And then this thing about following these kids around, which is very sad. There's a, yeah, there's yeah. another one losing Iraq, which is all about the Iraq war and what went, went down. And the, the one that's very interesting is United States of Secrets, too. And that's all about it goes into Snowden, but it starts all the way back from the Bush administration through Obama's administration to like the Snowden stuff. Okay. Because the, the silly American things that I watch are like the book of secrets. Um, you know, like every once in a while, I'll just put something like that. What is that? It's, you know, it's more like, um, uh, a lot of, myth and i guess theory uh very in getting into things like the freemasons okay. the Illuminati, like a- alien all uh, architects behind the uh, yeah. yeah but it's yeah but it's more like national treasure the movies gotcha. um so it's you know it's that kind of stuff um, well, i'll check it out i love yeah i usually put documentaries on a lot when i'm working not when i'm writing but when i'm doing my my day job well there's a couple about uh sherlock holmes that i found really interesting um, there's one about this show, Sherlock, the Cumberbatch version, which I not, I, I actually like the American version better. I like elementary better, but that's me. Um, but there's a documentary about Sherlock and then there's a documentary about how 
the actual character. Um, it might have been from PBS. I don't know. I don't, can't remember now. But it's called How Sherlock Changed the World, and it's about the influence on forensics. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool. I'll check that because, out. You know, it had more of this like real life um, connection. To it, it is. I just looked it up at PBS. How Sherlock Changed the World. I am adding that to my list. There, there you go. go. Done and done. Well, thank you for having me on today. It was very exciting. Number oh. three. Always. Um, hopefully, you know, yeah, I don't, like you said, you don't know what, what all of your firm travel plans might be, but I hope to run into you. Yeah, me too. That'd be cool. Okay. Um, guys, go get Planet Gigantic. Um, Eric, where can they find you it? You can go to planetgigantic.com. And there should be links to order it. You can also go to ericgrissom.com and all my all my stuff is there, including I have a storefront where if people can't find the single issues in the store, I have them. I'm looking at them. I have a stack of them. One of them could go to your house if you go there and order it. Um, but if you want the trade, I would highly recommend rather than Amazon where you could pre-order it, you just go to your local comic store and ask them to get it. It should be available through Diamond and hopefully shipping to you next month. Very cool. Um, so uh, those are those are the easiest places. But yeah, check. You know, it's always best to to get through your your local comic shop if you have one near you. That's very helpful. Um, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber, and everything else at amberunmasked.com. Don't forget about that Patreon. Just go to patreon.com/slash/amberunmasked. And uh, Eric, it's been vodka o'clock. It's it has. Awesome Thank you. you. I had a great time.